as I've mm-hmm. seen in many comment sections across social media, is it was Order 66. It was Order it 66 was. of the Air Nomads. <laughs> and uh, and Zozin, a Fire Lord, Zozin was very much uh, Anakin Skywalker <laughs> coming to oh, destroy yeah. the younglings, you know? <laughs> um, Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Nerds Inc. podcast. I'm Skylar, a Chicago-based actor. And I'm Gary, founder and creator of Divergent Comics. And we are your co-hosts for today's episode and every episode, let's be real. (laughs) Gary, my friend, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well, Uh, especially because I just finished, and it's going to be the topic of today's conversation, Mm -hmm. I just finished Netflix's adaption of Avatar The Last Airbender, and you and I had talked about it, um, and we were obviously going to review it. If you go back and listen to our our top five most anticipated TV shows for 2024, that was number one on my list. I'm a huge fan of the animation, uh, the original animated show, Legend Mm. of Korra, all that good stuff. And after that 2010 adaption that M. Night Shyamalan did, and we will talk about that, (laughs) I was waiting for a faithful adaption. So Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to talk about this show. Yeah, uh, I I've, believe I've said this on the podcast before, but I know I've told you like I watched uh, the show for the first time, the animated show uh, back in 2020. It was always on my list of shows to watch because people had talked about it so much. And so when we were sent home due to COVID and, you know, everyone had to work from home, it was like, OK, I need to do something when I'm like sitting here at my desk talking to these customers for Verizon. <laughs> I ended up just tossing it on and it was a real fun and easy binge. Mm-hmm. Um, and now ever since then, I literally have went through every se- every single season at least once a year. Uh, and then last year I watched Legend of Korra for the first time, which also was a fun watch. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely excited for this to to come out. And I don't have any ties to the M. Night Shyamalan movie. So that, that, that was a, a positive thing for me. Yeah. No, I'll be more than happy to talk about that because I saw it <laughs> when it premiered in 2010 and uh, mm. I got a lot of feelings about it for sure. Um, but yes, um, as we always do with our show or movie reviews, we will, of course, talk about our spoiler-free thoughts first because yeah. we do realize that the show uh, just premiered uh, this past week on February 22nd is when it released uh, the entire full season. So we will, of course, talk about spoiler-free options that way if you have not finished the show you have time to pause this episode go finish the show it's only eight episodes it's very bingeable very digestible and then once you finish you can pick right back up and listen to our spoiler filled thoughts yep yep uh spoiler free is going to be fun yes Absolutely. Especially if you've seen the original animated show, which we hope that if you're a fan of this (laughs) podcast and that you're listening to this episode, we hope that you've seen the original animated show, uh, which is a Nickelodeon production. Uh, Full seasons for that are also streaming on Netflix currently. So you can always get the backstory on the show and even kind of see where the show is heading. It's only three seasons. And then there's also all four seasons of The Legend of Korra. Another Nickelodeon production is in full on Netflix. Uh, without being said, Gary, uh, what are some of your initial spoiler-free thoughts? So uh, I've tried to play as coy as possible with you when I told <laughs> you that I finished it the the day before we uh, did this recording. Um, but I have very much mixed feelings about the show. Um, 
I will say once we like really get into the episode by episode breakdown, episode one is easily the highlight of the show for me. Oh. Um, and from one of my friends uh, found out that the original creators actually wrote episode one and episode six, mm-hmm. um, which writing wise, those are the two best episodes of the series. Okay. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of issues I have with the show as we go forward. But one thing I will say, spoiler free, um, they nailed the casting for a lot of the characters. Ozai, absolutely phenomenal casting, perfect casting. Yes. Um, Iroh, I felt like was really good casting. Um, I felt like uh, Sokka, also perfectly cast. So, uh, and, oh, and Suki, um, I felt like was perfectly cast. So to me, those are like the highlights of the show. Um the other people, they I don't feel like they were poorly cast. I just didn't really get the characters from them uh, in certain moments. And I mostly, I think I'll probably mostly blame the writing for that rather than the, the actors. Because I felt like the actors, for the most part, did a decent job. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, I, I have to say I did enjoy it. Uh, it was fun to watch. So if y'all haven't watched it and you're listening to the spoiler-free section right now, definitely go take a look at it and uh, come back and let us, let us know what you think. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, as far as my spoiler-free thoughts go, um, I definitely think that it is a faithful adaption and certainly much more faithful than the 2010 <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan adaption, which he also wrote and directed. Um, I think that they were able to do a lot, and that's something that we'll talk about more in the, the spoiler-filled mm-hmm. episode. Uh, breakdown but they were able to kind of accomplish a lot with the story in the span of eight episodes right um you know the original uh show i believe had over 20 episodes for season one um which was always going to be an issue right like i knew (laughs) as soon as i saw that it was only an eight episode season that people were going to take issue with how the storyline went how the pacing was some of the truncated storylines stuff like that um, for me, um, I give Albert Kim, the showrunner um, and producer, all of the flowers because it was still a coherent story. I think it still hit on a lot of the moments from the animated show that made season one so great. Season mm-hmm. one, honestly, even of the original animated show is a great buildup to what is to come. But even mm-hmm. season one, I, I never really thought... You know, since I've gone back and even rewatched it in recent years, I've never been the biggest fan of season one. Like, it's nice, yeah. but it's really just the precursor to when things get really good in season two and That's three. True. So, that being said, I, I felt like it hit on a lot of the, the main points. Um, I definitely <clears throat> agree with you that I think the casting is really spot on in a lot of places. There is some questionable acting uh, with, <laughs> with some of the the younger uh, the younger casted actors, but to yeah. be fair. Uh, and, and speaking from from my perspective as an actor, that tends to happen uh, with right. with child actors. So I will give them grace for that um, mm-hmm. because a lot of them have done very little film work. So right. this is to be expected, right? They're new actors. Right. Se- several of them were like 12, 13, 14 years old when they were filming exactly. the first season. So once again, child actors aren't always the best actors. Like we, we got to give them a break, guys. <laughs> Whatever you've seen on social media, you got to give them a break. So I do, I do. And they're going to grow, right? Like it's going to have been like probably three or four years since they filmed season one by the time they start filming season two. So they're going to be older, more experienced. And the Mm -hmm. hope is that that will improve. 
Now, that being said, I did feel like as the season wore on um, that it got better, that I think as the stakes Mm. grew higher, um, there was more for the actors to chew on. um, Mm -hmm. And that was really enjoyable. Um, Yeah. And I definitely we're going to talk more about some of the standout performances later in the episode when we get to the spoiler filled section. So it's hard to talk about those. But I think just from the perspective of the talent in this show, there's so much um, unknown talent. And I say unknown, but it's really unknown to me. I know Gary unknown for you as well. A lot of these actors I've never seen before um, Mm. and they are absolutely phenomenal. So there is just a lot of, you know, kind of random one-off characters or like little side characters that, you know, maybe in the animated show you would have been like, Oh yeah, well, come on, just show me Aang, Katara and Sokka. Let us move on. But in this show, they kind of steal the scene. So there is just a lot of, I think a lot of the well-rounded actors um, who are in this show make up for some of the earlier episodes and some of the questionable acting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say just to kind of jump off of the point that you were making about the young actors, anyone that is listening to this show or is on social media please do not attack these young actors. Like they did everything that they could. Um, and were given some pretty good to relatively decent scripts, um, to work with and they put in their best efforts. So, um, whether you like the performances or not, you know, don't attack these, these, these kids because they, they did the rest that they could. Yeah. And I mean, that's unfortunately something that we saw happen a lot with Star Wars and, unfortunately. you know, with things like The Last Jedi um, mm-hmm. and, and just even how Daisy Ridley has been attacked on, on social media. So, right. you know, that is for different reasons. These are child actors, um, you know, even though a lot of them now are over the age of 18, it's still, yeah, it's not a good look. Um we hope that no one listening to our podcast would do such a thing, but <laughs> right. even if you see it, like call it out, you know, if you feel yeah. comfortable doing so it's social media, right? These are all keyboard warriors, but exactly. there's way too much hate that goes around on social media, especially with any type of adaption of an anime or video game adaption or what have you. Right. Um, these actors held their own. And as the season goes on, you see that. So they're all cast in these roles for a reason. Um, even with some of the, the, the issues that are there. So definitely, uh, I agree. Um, do you have any other spoiler free thoughts? No, that is it, man. I'm ready to jump into some spoilers. Yeah. So once again, that was our spoiler free thoughts of the episode. So, uh, just keep that in mind. Um, as we move forward, we're going to be talking more about spoilers, uh, for the rest of the season, because Gary and I have seen all eight episodes. If you haven't, you have been warned to stop now <laughs> and just come back and listen once you finish the show. And that was your cue. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our spoiler filled thoughts. We're going to do, of course, our routine episode by episode overview, kind of looking into that. I do, of course, want to first talk about um, the actors and at least list the cast. Uh, we have Gordon uh, Cormier playing Aang. We have, and I'm going to butcher some of these names. I do apologize. We have Kiwato uh, playing Katara. I uh, know I'm probably saying that incorrectly because I know that it is a Native American name. I apologize. Uh, we have Ian Osley playing Sokka. We have Dallas Liu playing Prince Zuko. Paul Sung Hung Lee playing Uncle Iroh. The legendary Daniel Day Kim playing Fire Lord Ozai. Mm. And then we have uh, Ken Leung playing Commander Zhao. Also, Elizabeth Yu is playing Azula. 
and of course many other notable names. We can of course mention uh, Utkarish Ambutkar. Uh, he's playing King Bumi, which gosh, I can't wait till we get to him. <laughs> And we do get uh, some more actors. So uh, I do want to shout out because we're going to be talking about her later. Uh, the uh, actress who plays Princess uh, Yue is Amber uh, Mid Thunder. Oh, that's a really cool last name. I like that. That is an interesting last name. <laughs> but we'll be talking more about these actors, of course, as we progress through. Mm-hmm. Now, jumping in to episode one, it is called Aang. And the simple tagline for it is, an airbender comes to grips with his new reality as war erupts. A century later, a pair of water tribe siblings make a discovery that changes everything. Gary, what were your thoughts on episode one? This episode was amazing. Um, I think the thing that made this episode amazing, and this is one of those where I feel like the creators were on board with how this episode was going. Because that opening where we get to actually see how the fire nation just came and said, y'all about to go was absolutely amazing. Um, Sozin was a bad man. (laughs) Sozin, he said, yeah, we wanted y'all to know that uh, we were going to go attack the earth nation because we're not actually going over there. We're going to attack the air nomads because we know that the air nomads is going to be where the avatar is. And we're trying to get the avatar. Um, that was absolutely beautiful writing to me. Like I loved every minute of that. And then seeing the fight between the fire nation and the air nomads was just absolutely beautiful to me. That's what sold me on like, okay, I need to watch more because that, uh, fight choreography and then the bending was just all beautiful. Uh, we got to see Gyatso, uh, which I love Gyatso. Uh, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I love this episode. Um, I think, this episode kind of made me like um, the actor who played Aang, uh, Gordon Cormier, just because I felt like he really um, sold that wise monk aspect of Aang, which was a really good take. Um, the only thing I would have liked to see a little bit better um, would be like that fun loving aspect, that goofy personality. Mm-hmm. But Overall, um, I liked his portrayal in this first episode, and I think that he did a really good job. And I, I really enjoyed this, this this overall episode. Just from start to finish, it was really great. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I do think it was great that we actually got to see the destruction uh, of that air temple, simply because in the show it's just kind of talked about. Right. Um, which I think this was just a great example, as you know, as a screenwriter of show us, don't tell us. Exactly. And we didn't have to kind of see the fallout. I mean, it was definitely emotional, even in the animated show of when Aang returns to the temple and he, he sees mm-hmm. that everyone's gone and he sees the skeleton um, of his master. Um, and it's all very sad. But actually getting to see it happen, as I've mm-hmm. seen in many comment sections across social media, is it was Order 66, it was Order it 66 was. <laughs> of the Air Nomads. And uh, and Zozin, a Fire Lord, Zozin was very much uh, Anakin Skywalker <laughs> coming to oh, destroy yeah. the younglings, you know? <laughs> um, 
so yeah, it was tragic. Uh, and getting just to see that it was, uh, I know uh, I've also seen some people complain about the adult themes in the show, how it does feel a little bit more mature. And it's like, mm. yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Um, you think about all of the fans of the show when it originally came out, um, you know, from 2005 to 2008 uh, for mm-hmm. the animated show, they're now adults, you know? So it's like, yeah. or, or at least they're in their late teens. So it's like, it kind of makes sense just like how the Harry Potter books grew more and more mature. It was to show kind mm-hmm. of coming of age. So I definitely understand Netflix's portrayal of that. So a lot of people that take issue with how graphic it got with some of the bending and some of the deaths there, like once again, show us, don't tell us this shows us how high the stakes are. Cause once you get to season three of the animated show, there are a lot of adult themes and, and you know, mm-hmm. Ang and Zuko and company are not playing around anymore. So. <laughs> It makes sense to me. I didn't take issue with that. Um, and yeah, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed this episode. Once again, from that opening sequence, um, seeing, you know, and get trapped in the ice, mm-hmm. seeing him kind of come out of it. I did think that this was really, I felt like this for the first three episodes, that this is where I felt some of the acting. I don't know how they went about filming. A lot of uh, shows and movies will actually start filming from the end to the beginning. I don't mm-hmm. think that this was the case here. Um, I could just be guessing, but I definitely felt like the acting for Aang, um, Sokka, and Katara here was questionable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially like I felt like Sokka, like he grew into those jokes because he's supposed to be the funny one. Um, right. But in the beginning, I felt like it was a little forced. Yeah. And yeah. same thing with Katara. Um, you know, these were things that that grew on me. And I think that the, the actors once again had more to work with as the season wore on. But yeah, I thought, I thought that, you know, kind of some of those moments at, at the, um, the, the Southern water tribe weren't always the greatest um, until Zuko shows up. And then mm-hmm. once Zuko shows up, I was reeled in because D- Dallas Lee, you was so great as Zuko. And even he, he really becomes a powerhouse by the end of the, the season. So Yeah. Yeah, before we jump to episode two, I have to shout out um, Fire Lord Sozin. I had to look him up, but uh, he's played by Hiro Kanagawa. Uh, to me, he stole this episode just from beginning to end, just seeing him, uh, like I said, just seeing his presence. He had that menacing presence. And like you said, like we didn't really get to see him or like get to really see that whole aspect of them destroying the Air Nomads in the animated series. So just getting really to see that aspect of it was great. And he, he did an amazing job. And the fact that he was there, cause I believe in the animated show, he didn't go there. He just sent right. his army. So exactly. he, he himself showed up on the doorstep, like <laughs> knock, knock, guess who's here. It's the <laughs> right. fire Lord. He, he, he pulled there. a Thanos. He said, it's better. He said, fine, I'll do it myself. Exactly. Um, so that was great. It was an, another example, once again, of show us, don't tell us. And yep. hopefully, if it, of course, is following the pattern of the show, we are going to see a lot more of Fire Lord Sozin, especially in some of those flashback sequences right. with him and Roku. Because honestly, once we get to that arc, and I cannot wait, I believe Same. it's in season three, once they start yep. showing more of the the relationship between Roku and Zozin, like, mm-hmm. that's some of that's- my favorite. That's where it's at. I, I love that part too. Yeah. So excited to see more of that actor. Uh, moving on to episode two. This was titled Warriors. And it is simply put, Aang, Katara, and Sokka arrive at a small island home to elite warriors named after Avatar Kyoshi. The Fire Nation gets wind of the Avatar's whereabouts. Gary, what did you think of episode two? 
Um, I love this episode for one reason and one reason only, and that is because they showed my favorite avatar, Avatar Kiyoshi, played by uh, Yvonne Chapman. She did amazing. Um, I love this episode just for her presence and like the fact that she took over Aang's body and just started destroying the Fire Nation. Uh, I loved every minute of that. Uh, Avatar Kiyoshi is always my favorite. Me and my girlfriend, we talk about that all the time about how Kiyoshi is just one of the best avatars. But um, honestly, this is another one of the better episodes for me. Um, it's not to me is not as good as episode one, just because of how Sozin was, but it was really good from a aspect of like, they, they tried to stay as close to the timeline as possible, mm-hmm. um, which I believe uh, in the original series, uh, going to Kiyoshi Island was kind of like one of the first steps that they took um, out. Cause I think it was like that intro. And then they had like a couple of filler episodes. Then they had the Kiyoshi Island. So this was a natural progression and I enjoyed that aspect of it. We got to see a little bit of a back and forth between Zuko and Iroh, um, which I thought was pretty good because that their dynamic as it grew on in the original series was one of the best aspects of the show. And you kind of really got to see that, uh, chemistry between the two actors, which I thought worked uh, pretty well in this series, mm-hmm. uh, in this season. So I, I thought this was a really good episode. Um, I enjoyed it. And it really got me hyped to see like how the rest of the season was going to go because mm-hmm. of how good this episode was. Plus, again, Avatar Kiyoshi. Right. Agreed. Um, yeah, no, I actually really enjoyed this episode because one thing that I also cannot stress enough, just in addition to, I think, some really amazing casting choices was just the overall look and feel of this show feels so much like the animated show um, in so mm-hmm. many ways. Like the costumes and the makeup are just on point. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, really with the Kiyoshi Warriors, you see it. Um, I absolutely love uh, the actress uh, who plays Suki, uh, uh, Maria Zhang. She oh, yeah, was... Yeah amazing and just the chemistry even that she had with Sokka um, Mm -hmm. was very on point with the show which is something that I was kind of worried about because we know that Sokka has multiple romantic interests throughout (laughs) uh, Avatar The Last Airbender so um, I was kind of wondering because at that point in time like Ian Usley's Sokka hadn't really grown on me yet those first couple episodes I'm like I don't know some of his jokes felt a little forced I don't really know what to make of it but once again I really felt like don't once again don't know how the filming schedule worked but it really does feel like they actually started filming in order because you see the actors grow into their characters and at this point in time i felt like Sokka for me started to grow on me simply because of his relationship with suki so Mm -hmm. um that was really powerful him kind of getting to learn some moves uh the one thing that i wish we got to see that was in the animated show uh is Sokka dressed up (laughs) as as a kiyoshi warrior um, that would have been cool to see. That would have uh, we still might see it in season three. Who knows? But um, yeah, so this is where they, they kind of started to take some liberties. But yeah, and then just seeing Aang uh, get to uh, interact with Avatar Kiyoshi was a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, when she comes to town and just starts wiping out all the, the firebenders that have come to to attack the village and look for Aang uh, was really, really cool. Uh, we get to you know see the Avatar state really for the first time in action, um, which mm-hmm. was exciting. And um, yeah, no, I love the feel of it. I felt like this episode, um, once again, not one of the strongest episodes, but I felt I definitely felt like it, it captured um, episode four from the first season uh, of the animated show really well. Because, 
you know, just to put it into perspective, the first three episodes uh, center around Aang and then the Southern Air Temple um, mm-hmm. in the animated show. And we don't even see the Kyoshi Warriors until episode four, whereas in this right. show, it's already episode two. Um, but moving on to episode three, and this episode was titled Omashu. Gary, what did you think of Omashu? So Omashu is where I kind of started to be like, okay, this show is starting to take a downward spiral for me. Um, Episode three, this is where they mix storylines. And I would have been okay with it if it wasn't for the fact that the storylines that they mixed were important to certain development aspects of the characters. Because this storyline, they mix the story with Jet, where, you know, Katara really learns not to just trust anybody. And then we got the um, also the episode where they go to the Northern Air Temple, I believe. Um, and that's where they meet the uh, inventors. And you get to learn how smart Sokka actually is. And I feel like this episode kind of st- stole that character development by mixing those two storylines because we didn't really get to see much of that. Like they kind of hinted at it a little bit with Sokka working with the inventor. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, they hinted a little bit where, you know, Katara learns, okay, Jet isn't really the good guy. Cause he's, you know, willing to kill anybody, but because these two storylines were kind of mushed together pretty quickly and kind of, relatively rushed um i at least personally i didn't feel the emotional connection with it and that kind of hurt the story for me um but i did enjoy seeing more of uh zuko and Zhao uh kind of go back and forth which was i thought was a really good uh interaction and that kind of held the the series for the most part from this point on for me because they're back and forth and the way that Zhao was in this year, season was just absolutely fun, uh, fun. So yeah, those are my thoughts initially um, when I watched it and kind of like sitting back and thinking on it. What about you? Okay. Well, I am very surprised that you didn't mention the actor who plays the mechanist. <laughs> so oh, the mechanist yeah, yeah. is played by uh, Danny Pudi. Um, and I'm probably butchering his last name, but uh, Danny <laughs> Pudi uh, is from Community. For those that are a big fan of the TV show Community with, you know, Donald Glover. Um, that was such an amazing show. Anyone who's seen it, um, highly recommend you go watch it. It's a great half hour comedy show to binge, but um, he played Abed in community and I haven't really seen him in a whole lot since. So it was so refreshing to see him in the show as the mechanist. I really enjoyed mm. that. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is the episode where I agree. It definitely wasn't one of the stronger episodes, but however, I think the redeeming quality of this episode for me was Sebastian Amoruso's uh, Jet, um, the actor who plays Jet. Uh, and I thought he was so compelling. At first, I was like, wait a minute, why is he playing Jet? Like, I feel like he could be playing one of the principal <laughs> roles, like honestly, um, because the actor just had so much charisma, just like Jet he does did, in the yeah. show. Um, it was just a magnetism to his performance that I, I thoroughly enjoyed and i completely understand why uh katara would catch fields you know what i'm saying because <laughs> right. he, he was stealing the show and he had that swag to him so um i really really enjoyed his jet and for me he was the highlight of the show um but i did enjoy the relationship uh that ang had uh with teo uh played by lucian river mm. um, cha 
Chow Han. Um, yeah. That was that was a fun relationship to me, um, just to see Aang kind of interact with another kid who happens to be able to fly, even if it's not by conventional means. Right. Um, and we get to see King Boomy. Like, we get to see King Boomy, and Boomy is such a fun part of the animated show. Um, you know, we don't, we don't get to see too much of King Boomy in this episode, but we get to see King Boomy. And, uh, yeah, he was one of my favorite parts of the animated series, so. Yeah, Boomy was a honestly one of the best parts of the animated series. And when we get to episode four, I definitely have some thoughts on his portrayal in this uh, this season. Yeah, agreed. So speaking <laughs> of which, moving on to episode four, it is titled Into the Dark. And the tagline for it is, In captivity, Aang meets a king with a taste for games. To find their friend, the siblings must navigate a dark tunnel and put their differences aside. Gary, what did you think? I did not like this episode. Um, I did not like it at all. Um, This is, again, one of those situations where they mixed multiple storylines into one episode, which I expected them to do because, like you mentioned, like this is this regular original series is like 20 episodes and they wanted to make this an eight episode season. I'm okay with mixing storylines. Um, I just don't like when they mix storylines and they take away the emotional connection that we had with the characters. And for me, they mixed the storylines in this one where they had um, in the original series, it was Aang, uh, Katara and Sokka who had to go into the tunnels. Sokka went with the, uh, the musicians that was at the beginning of this episode and Aang and Katara went off on their own. And this really set the seeds for Aang and Katara's relationship in the future. And for me, they kind of stole that by putting uh, Katara and Sokka in the tunnels alone. I didn't like that aspect of it because I wanted that again, character development. Um, But then the biggest reason why I didn't like this, as we mentioned, I love King Bumi in the original series, he's one of the best parts of the series mm-hmm. and his mind of playing games to like get people to understand like what actually needs to happen and like what's going on was one of the best parts of season one. And they kind of took away from that by making Boomy in this season, in this series more of a demented sociopath rather than an actual like dementia type old man who's been around for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish they would have played more into that fun aspect of it mm-hmm. and then kind of made the games that he was playing more sinister to make it yeah. seem like he doesn't understand that the games that he's trying to play could actually kill Aang because he thinks that he's just having fun. I think that would have, that would have been better for me just because that performance would have come off as more, entertaining rather than okay is this guy a villain or is he on Aang's side or is he just demented right so those are my issues with it um there are a few parts i do i did enjoy because i think um in this episode uh we got we got to see more about iroh um i believe and that was that's always good because i love iroh he's easily a top three character for me from this whole universe um, but yeah, I wish this should have been a very heavy character development episode and they kind of let me down with that. Yeah. 
and once again, I think that that had to do with how many episodes they were allotted from Netflix that they had a lot to get through. So once again, I don't really, I don't give uh, Albert Kim or the writers too much flack because Netflix doesn't like to give long seasons uh, for shows. Yeah, so unfortunately. If, they, if they were told like, hey, you have eight to 10 episodes to tell this entire first season, this is what you got, which I can easily see Netflix doing. A lot of these streamers are starting to do that where they're being more restrictive. Um, they, they, their hands were kind of tied there. So Hopefully with season two, given the popularity of season one, maybe we can see a larger season. Hopefully. Um, with that being said, um, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take the issue uh, with, with King Bumi. Um, I, I definitely thought that um, uh, Yudkarash uh, Abudkar, who played King Bumi was perfect casting. Cause I know mm. he's currently in the CBS show uh, or Paramount plus show ghosts. And mm. uh, my wife was talking about how much she loved that and loved his performance in it. So I love that they decided to cast a younger actor to play the older King Bumi. Cause right. it made sense. <laughs> Cause Bumi in the original show was jacked. Like he takes off that. He and he is jack so it only made sense to me that you would have to hire someone younger you couldn't actually get like a real old person so to see the prosthetics that they use and all of that was really cool um and i i thought that and i think that this show does this well throughout uh this first season is that once again being able to kind of truncate as many storylines as you can in eight episodes um i really thought that they did a great job of building the stakes um, so I know a lot of people have taken issue that, you know, Aang wasn't as playful as he is in the first season of the animated show. And I think that if you're going to ground this show as much as you can into reality, into a live action show, then it only makes sense that the stakes are as high as they are. Now, for King Boomy, once again, as he mentions in, in several of his, uh, his uh, monologues to Aang, is that he has basically held down the fort. He's the reason why Omashu stands you know, alluding to episode eight, but he's the reason why Amashu has stood for as long as it has for those hundred years of the Fire Nation war um, and the things that he's seen. And he talks about how he's had to ration food and what he's had to do for his people. So he understands the severity of what this war has done and feeling mm-hmm. a little betrayed that his best friend, the Avatar, went missing and mm-hmm. making sure that he's prepared as possible. I like that the fact that they've kind of made him a little bit more demented and crazy and a little bit more serious with Aang um, as he's kind of testing him through all of these trials. Uh, Because to me, it just makes sense given the world, the stakes in this world already in season one feel so much higher than they did in the animated show. Whereas you kind of feel that more in seasons two and three. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't, I didn't take issue with that. Um, This is the episode though. I agree with you. I think is, is a, uh, an uncle Iroh episode that really, really steals the show. Um, And once again, Paul Sung Hong Lee as uncle Iroh is amazing. Um, But really that scene where he's captured and he's being taken away I have to shout out the actor who played the guard <laughs> because he's not talked about enough and yeah. it is Albert Nicholas. Albert Nicholas, if no one else gives you your flowers, man, I will give you your flowers because his performance in like what? What does he get? Like maybe five minutes of screen time talking? If that. If that. He steals the freaking show because this is the yeah. first time that you just see like it's just a random guard. And I think that they, they do mention this in the animated show too, but it's a lot smaller. This guard talks about how he lost his brother because his brother gave food and starvation at the the, the siege of Ba Sing Se, which yep. we know that um, Uncle Iroh was spearheading that 600 days of a siege and he couldn't take Ba Sing Se. So right. 
to hear this brother kind of recount what happens to his brother, the, the soldier, I should say, to recount the story of what happened to his brother, I thought was like a masterclass. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is this guy? I'm like, this is just a <laughs> guard and he's like stealing the right. show for me. So I was much more captivated by this random guard than like anything else. And it was kind of refreshing because like very rarely do you see such strong performances from side characters, like not even a supporting or a main character, but a side character. Um, Albert Nicholas was amazing. So once again, I think he's probably listed as like guard or whatever. IMDB doesn't even have a character name for him. He was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. Um, And then I also want to shout out Justin Wong, uh, which they don't have a character name for him either, but he, uh, he played the kind of like the cultist guitar guy in the, uh, in the cage. Oh yeah. (laughs) And that to me, like that whole moment, like, yeah, granted it's, it's Katara and Sokka going into the caves versus, you know, the, the, the other, um, what happened in the show. But I felt like he, along with his kind of like hippie cult in the caves, captured the show in a really nice way and this was the first time this is the episode i I really enjoyed episode four simply because this is the episode that i felt like really captured the heart and the playfulness Mm. in some aspects of the original animated show from justin wong's uh, character just like huh they're doomed you know like all of that (laughs) was a lot of fun um just the dialogue there felt very avatar to me and then we Mm -hmm. can see the cabbage merchant yeah yeah he does show up and my cabbages. And I'm so happy that they kept the cabbage merchant in this show yeah. because he's such a minor character. It'd be easy to cut him out. Right. Right. Um, so that part was so much fun. And then, yeah, at the end of the episode to see, you know, Boomy and, and Aang take the shoot down and then they run into the cabbage merchant and all you hear is my cabbage. <laughs> and so I loved it. That um, was nice. I re- yeah. I really, I definitely enjoyed uh, episode four. I think a lot more than episode three and uh, to see the badger moles, all of that too. Uh, you know, the, the crystals lighting their way in the tunnels. It was a fun episode for me. I enjoyed it. I can't lie though. The badger moles are going to give me nightmares for a couple of days <laughs> because they <laughs> look terrifying. Understandably so. Understandably so. All right. Moving on to episode five. In this episode, whoa, we got a lot to talk about. In episode five, it is titled Spirited Away. And the tagline for it is, when the group lands in the spirit world for a rescue mission, they come face to face with dangerous threats, painful memories, and a mysterious entity. Gary, what did you think of episode five? This was a loaded episode. So much. Uh, Yeah. I liked it, but I didn't. Um, I liked it because it gave a lot of character depth and a lot of uh, emotional uh, resonance with, you know, Katara, with Sokka, you know, just learning and finding out like what they actually, what causes them despair. Um, And we get an absolute, I have to shout this out. We get an absolute masterclass from the legend himself, George Takai, uh, playing Cole the Face Stealer. Um, I didn't recognize the voice at first. I was like, Okay, the voice sounds familiar. But yeah, he absolutely phenomenal. I love George. He is an amazing uh, voice actor. But this is also an issue I have with the show because I believe around this episode is when they start doing this, but they take parts of season two and three uh, from the animated series and throw it in here. And I don't think it works too well. And namely, um, just the part with the, uh, the owl, um, that's a season three storyline 
that they really jump into, which brings about one of the most emotional episodes of the entire series right. when Aang and the team are looking for Appa and they have to go to this temple to find information about Sozin's Comet. And I think they kind of wasted the owl unless they bring him back in a later episode. Oh, they if they get will. like season three and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, they definitely will. Um, that was my only issue with that. Um, they also mixed uh, Ko with um, the storyline in the middle of season one, where you know they go to the village and the village um, was ravaged. They kind of made that into like one or. Uh, into one storyline. I was not too upset about that. I'm okay with it. Um, I just feel like they never actually resolved the story <laughs> because the monster was destroying the forest and uh, the way that it was resolved kind of felt a little lackluster because um, yeah. I think it was uh, resolved in either the next episode or episode after this, episode after that. But um, it was very emotional and I will give them credit for that. I will say like this definitely gave me a little bit more hope in regards to like how the series is going to end because I did enjoy just the emotional aspect of what they did with this uh, episode. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah. This episode is probably honestly my least favorite. If I'm not mistaken, I know that they're cramming a lot of storylines in this episode, but if I'm not mistaken, like Katara and Sokka in the animated show never go to the spirit world. Right? Sokka only did not Katara. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, so that's the part that kind of threw me is like Aang is trying to go to the spirit world and like the the <laughs> the reasoning behind him being able to take them is he's like, oh, I guess I was so powerful, I dragged you guys in with me. Yeah. And it's like, that to me felt very much like, really? Uh, that's just lazy <laughs> writing. Um, what well, wasn't the best writing in this episode? And yeah, they did right. cram so much into this because I don't even believe Ko is in season one of the anime. Season show. two. He's in season two, right? Yep. So I definitely feel like there's so much in this season where you could tell that they're the reason why they're introducing these characters is because they plan on building on them. So I get it uh, because we're definitely going to talk more about Azula because Azula doesn't even pop up until the last episode of right. season one. So I it makes sense. Like they're trying to set the stage. They're trying to kind of take away, I guess, some of the mystery that's in season one of the animated mm -hmm. show where there's a lot of mystery and you don't really know what's going on. But in this one, they kind of show you where the strings are and where things are coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, which is nice because I definitely think it, it definitely changes um, certain character motivations, like especially for Zuko. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like this one felt kind of weird because Leah, like you said, like it didn't feel like by the end of the episode that it really resolved anything um, with the, the, the forest being destroyed. And they very much were like, cool, buddy. I'm just here to save my friends. Peace. You know? Right. Um, and uh, we do see Aang uh, kind of try to, you know, find, uh, he has to kind of go into also they talked about him, you know, meeting Roku mm -hmm. and him having to go to the Fire Nation for that, uh, which doesn't happen for a few more episodes. The actress who plays June Arden Cho, mm -hmm. I, she looked spot on like she her was costume, perfect. makeup, hair, like she was spot on as June. So it was really cool to see her character uh, in this episode. Uh, that was one thing that I'm glad that they did add is when, you know, Zuko and Iroh are like, yeah, we'll pay you. Just go ahead and find her. <laughs> um, and she follows Aang literally from the earth kingdom all the way to, you know, the right. fire nation to, to bring him back. So um, it was cool to see her and her, her beast that she rides uh, just to kind of see, she had definitely had a, a much smaller role in this than she did in the animated show but it was nice right. it was cool to see just that whole bounty hunter for hire but yeah definitely i, I feel like this was probably my least favorite episode yeah that's fair 
And I also, um, I'm did, glad you shouted out June though. Yeah. I also though, did not know that, um, George Takai played co. So seeing his name <laughs> is amazing. And I'm so happy. Same man. Same. Moving on to episode six titled masks. This is a desperate Ang visits avatar Roku for all. So this is sorry. My apologies. He visited Roku in this episode, but a desperate Aang visits Avatar Roku for help on his journey as the Fire Nation closes in on him at the fortress. A masked intruder breaks Aang out. So this is kind of continuing off of the storyline that we saw in episode five. Gary, what did you think of this episode? Uh, this episode was pretty good. Uh, this was the episode that was also written by the original creators. Um, and you can really tell just based off of how the story flowed. I felt like this had a much better flow. Um but also this stuck to like what maybe one or two storylines uh, compared to some of the other episodes. So um, I think one of the things that I really liked um, that really worked was just Zuko's character and his attempt to rescue Aang from uh, Admiral Zhao, which we have to shout out Zhao. He, to me from this episode on, he essentially stole the show every time he was on screen he was just absolutely phenomenal he had such charisma uh he was played by ken long i believe that's how you pronounce his name i'm most likely butchering that but he definitely deserves his his flowers for this because he was phenomenal um he had that cartoonish villain type of feel which was perfect for the type of tone that they went with with the show but he got under zuko's skin every chance he got and i loved it um i kept like every time he would show up on screen, I kept wondering, like, is he actually working with Zuko or is he just finding ways to just take him off, you know? And he would always find ways to just take off Zuko. So it worked. Um, but I think the thing I liked the most about this was being able to see Aang communicate with Avatar Roku. Um, in the animated series, that was a much more emotional uh, much more informative meeting, um, whereas this one felt just more emotional, especially getting to see like what happened w- with Roku and Co, um, and how you know Roku just got completely destroyed almost by Co uh, because he kept going into the spirit world trying to fight him and everything. But um, yeah, like I, I really I felt like I enjoyed this episode more than I wanted to give it credit for initially. And I think it's mostly just because of uh, Admiral Zhao. He really was, he was, he was a scene stealer for me. Good point. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Commander Zhao uh, played by the great Ken Lee Young. And I don't know how you didn't mention this, but he played Kid Omega in X-Men The Last Stand. So, I mean, we, we've no seen, wonder. yeah, we've seen Kenley Young. I mean, he, he's been in the business for a very long time. Um, the first thing that I ever saw him in, and this is going to jog a lot of people's memories, but he was in the original rush hour. Um, he was, he was given, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Tucker, the business. And oh yeah, he was, yeah, he was, he, uh, he had, he had the, the bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wipe yourself off. He's like, bleeding. You bleed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chris Tucker comes in at the end with wipe yourself off, man. You did. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. That's so, where I know him from. Yeah, that was okay. Ken Lee Young. And so, yeah, he's been in the game for over 20 years. So respect to Ken Lee Young. I thought he, I mean, he always plays a villain. I feel like he's he always does. typecast as a villain, but he was a very good <laughs> convincing villain. So him he as does. Commander Zhao was great. Um, shout out to Ken Lee Young. He was awesome. Um, and this, honestly, episode six was my favorite episode of the mm. entire season. I loved it so much. Um, fun fact though, cause I know you mentioned the writers. It actually only had one of the original creators as a writer. The other two oh, writers, okay. um, were on for the entire season. Uh, but Brian, um, Konietzko, uh, one of the original creators and writers, uh, did write for this episode. He was given writing nice. credits. Um, but yeah, this episode has so much packed into it because they obviously had to, you know, clean up the, the spirited, um, a spirited away a storyline but then also introduce uh zuko's mask character which is so much fun and i felt like that whole sequence of like breaking ang out of the the, the fortress was very very accurate to like what happens in the oh yeah um, in the Agreed. show so that part was very faithful to me um even just the, the fighting style with having the two swords and then ang helping fight this to me is the episode that really solidified uh gordon cromier's ang and dallas liu as zuko because even mm. at the end uh when he and uh ang are kind of like hiding away in, in like the boathouse or whatever and they're having that conversation and ang is like you know if this happened 100 years ago like do you think you and i would be friends and, you know, mm. just kind of like having that conversation with Zuko and you see just kind of the emotion from Dallas Lee, you, you see the emotion from Gordon Cromier really questioning Zuko of like, you know, like, what do you get out of this? Like, what's the point? Like, why, right. why do you want to hunt me down so bad? I felt like that whole conversation in the boathouse was probably one of my favorite uh, dialogues uh, in the entire show. Um, it felt very reflective of who Zuko is and who Aang is. Um, and then this is also, I believe, where you get to see the Agni Kai if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, and you get to see, you know, why Zuko is the way he is and why he has the scar on his face. It's finally revealed um, that his own father, you know, fights him in an Agni Kai, which is crazy. Um, right. And so it was, it, there was so much packed in this episode, but I felt like this was one of the more emotional episodes. This was one of the more character driven episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, I have to add on, you know, the, I feel like they really are planting the seeds early, mm-hmm. unlike the animated show where they waited until like towards the middle of season two. But they were really planting the seeds early with Zuko is not going to be this character all the, the whole time. Right. Which I cannot wait because once, once he joins Team Avatar, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the best aspects. I always look forward to that, that part of uh, the rewatch. Although I do hope that they keep it where that happens in season three, because it really should like yeah, save it for the end. That that's honestly season three of the animated show is my favorite. Not not just with how it ends, but just because like that's when you see Katara at her most powerful, yep. Zuko, even Azula and Aang. Everybody's just like fully jacked and like yep. <laughs> the most powerful benders <laughs> on the earth. They're all at, at peak level. At I that mean, point. even Toph. Yeah, Toph is metal right. bending. Oh, I can't wait for Toph to show up in this. Same, show. bro. Same. But moving on to episode seven, the uh, episode before the final episode, penultimate episode, it's called The North, and the tagline for it is, as an attack on the Northern Water Tribe looms, Katara challenges a master waterbender, Sokka meets a princess, and Aang takes Kuruk's words to heart. Gary, what'd you think? So, um, I have to rewind something. I confuse uh ang meeting karuk with ang meeting roku mm-hmm. um 
it was Karuk who um, had the fight with uh, Ko uh, yeah. because Ko stole the face of his lover. Um, and that made that a little bit more um, emotional yeah. and definitely like it felt like they built upon it. Um, I have to say, though, um, the way the actor uh, that they had for um, Princess Yoe, um, she did really good. Uh, Amber uh, McThunder, she was, to me, really good in the role. Um, she really sold the princess pretending to be royalty so she can be like, uh, what is it, a regular person behind closed doors type of look. She really sold that to me. Um, she she just, I really liked her connection with uh, Sokka and the way that she just interacted. So that was great. Um, but I think this episode, they did a really good job with building up Katara. Um, I'm one of the few people that from Jump, I liked Katara because I liked her character. Um, just always wanted to take care of other people and seeing her growth from season one through season three to being less bossy and becoming more reliant on other people to, to take care of her and take care of the group together. And seeing that community build up was great to see. And I kind of felt like they weren't able to do that as much with this um, se season. And so this episode kind of really built on that a little bit, you know, allowing us to see, okay, so Katara, not only is she becoming this master waterbender, she's a prodigy, but also like we get to see, she actually cares a lot about other people and taking care of people. And we get to see her trying to foot or front load that responsibility on herself. Mm -hmm. um, I had one issue um, and it was just one line of dialogue that I felt just didn't really fit for the characters. And that was when um, I think this was in this episode when Katara said, stop treating me like a little girl to Sokka and Sokka said, well, grow up then. Um, that was to me, that kind of previous episode. It was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think it might've been episode. I want to say it was like maybe four or five. Yeah. Okay. I, for some reason I thought it was in this episode. No, it, it was when they were still in Omashu. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, they built on this with, Katara facing off against um, Paku. I mm -hmm. think that was a really good fight. And that was honestly just seeing Katara just kind of go out and put the work to Paku was great. Again, this really sold that fight choreography and, and bending style. Like it worked really well in this series. So um, there was a lot that I liked about this. There's some small tweaks and things that I felt like they made to this that kind of made up for some of the issues that I had in some of the previous episodes. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned Princess Yue, uh, the actress Amber Mid-Thunder. I don't know if you recognize her, Gary, but this is the lead actress from the kind of revamped Predator movie called Prey that came out in 2022. I thought she looked familiar. She was the lead in that. And I remember as soon as I saw her, I'm like, I know I've seen her somewhere. And so I had to, I had to look, look her up. She is phenomenal. Um, her charisma... In both things that I've seen her in, which are now Prey and Avatar The Last Airbender, she mm -hmm. is just brilliant. She stole the show on Prey, obviously being the lead actress. 
um, you know, as a Native American warrior that's like proving herself to her brothers and her family and then taking down a freaking predator, an alien. Um, and then to see her <laughs> as Princess Yue was great. I mean, she honestly, she was acting in circles around uh, Ewan Osley's Sokka, in my opinion. Yeah, she, she was, was killing it. So um, <laughs> she was super powerful um, and, and great, great casting. Uh, I'm only sad that we only got to see her in two episodes, but loved her in this. Um I'm glad that they finally, you know, made it to uh, to the the northern uh, uh, water tribe because I was a little concerned. I'm like, hold on, there's only two episodes left. Like, how much of the story right. they're going to be able to tell? So I was glad that they got there. Um, yeah, and this is, I think, what is really kind of setting things up, especially for you know Azula and kind of the strings that she's pulling and just kind of realizing that she doesn't want to play her father's games anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And getting to see kind of uh, Commander Zhao's, uh, you know, his his undoing of like, you know, trying to kill Zuko and all of that happening. Um, there's a lot that happens, but it is really building to something nice. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it as a nice setup for the season finale. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a good setup um, and worked really well with what actually happened in the animated series. I thought that was perfect. Right, right. Speaking of the season finale, moving on to the season finale of the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender, we have episode eight, and it's titled Legends. And this is when Zhao leads the Fire Nation into the north with a bold plan to weaken the Water Tribe. When the battle takes a dark turn, Aang enters a powerful state. Gary, what'd you think? I enjoyed this episode, but it didn't hit as hard as I expected it to. And it's just because I expected the emotional resonance for having to handle what Zhao did with killing the moon spirit. Aang having to go into the Avatar state and take on the vengeful spirit of the water spirit. And then Princess Yue having to sacrifice her life to become the moon spirit again. All of that went exactly how it should have. But for some reason, I don't know why, it just didn't hit for me. Um, Zhao sold it. Again, he was was perfect. His kind of cartoonish type of villain uh, was perfect. And the way that he kind of pit Zuko against Azula is really going to set up a season two, I I feel Mm -hmm. like. And we'll definitely talk about that more. Um, But... I don't know. Um, Paku, he was great. I feel like the acting was good. I just, it's just something about the way that the story just flowed just didn't hit for me. And maybe it's just me. Maybe on a rewatch, I'll see something different. Um, but yeah, um, it wasn't bad. It just, it just didn't hit as hard for me as it, as I expected it to. Yeah. This to me um, was. I'm glad that like they were able to really flesh out the, those final two episodes of what happens with that whole you know war at the the Northern Water Tribe, because mm-hmm. this to me is where like the movie you know from 2010 really failed. Uh, first of all, in the movie, um, if anyone has seen it, they don't even have firebenders being able to create fire. Uh, you know, M Night Shyamalan believed that well, it's not fair that you know airbenders, waterbenders, and earthbenders have to have their element near them to use. So he tried to do the same thing with firebenders, and, and it was just this whole weird thing of like Zuko had to like take fire from a torch and like use it. It was weird. Um, so this I felt like was much more faithful, um, and I enjoyed it. I, I I agree with you. I think to a certain extent. 
it didn't hit the same mostly because I felt like we didn't get a fully fleshed out and fully realized relationship between Sokka and Princess Yue. Um, whereas I feel like in the animated show, they had a few more episodes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, uh, let me just double check here. Yeah, the <laughs> in, in the animated show, they actually had three episodes to kind of tell this story. Uh, they mm-hmm. arrive on, you know, with episode 18 and the show goes all the way to 20 episodes. So yeah, they had a little bit more time to tell the story in the animated show, which is not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I'm glad that you got to see kind of like the sexism that exists in the show. Cause I know a lot of people were griping with the fact that Sokka <laughs> isn't sexist. And that was such a big character issue that people had. And it's like, whatever dude, like Sokka and, and Ian Usley definitely still fit the mold, still had that sarcastic humor. Um, was he as funny as the animated show Sokka? No, but just because he's not sexist, that doesn't take away the fact that he can't respect <laughs> women and learn how to become an awesome fighter. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Let's just be real. But I'm glad that they showed um, that, that they did show with Master Paku, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like the sexism that they have towards female waterbenders, and then you know, Katara giving them a little bit of the business and, and showing like right. what she can do. <laughs> um, so that, from that aspect, it was really cool. I'm, I'm kind of sad that we don't really get to see Katara train with um, Master Paku either. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I thought yeah. that we see a little bit of that. To that's what helps make Katara stronger is that she doesn't just come up with this on her own. She has to train a little bit with Master Paku. And as far as I can tell, unless there is like a, a hidden montage that we're going to see in season two, <laughs> she never trained with Master Paku. So right. that I felt like was a little weird. It's like, oh, she's just naturally more powerful now. It's like no. She had to train. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, now Katara is a waterbending master, apparently. So, um, so yeah, I mean, she, she, she did become a little bit more powerful, but that seemed a little bit more of like a character flaw and a character hole that the writers missed on is like, you don't just become more powerful. It's like you actually have to work on it. That and like we didn't mm-hmm. see Aang and Katara try to practice waterbending since like the first episode. Which I felt like was a little disappointing because I believe in season one, like Aang at least has some type of grasp of water bending and like in this season we did not really see him try to practice it at all at all yeah yeah um and he didn't even work with master paku so yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't like that because it's like the entire point of season one is to be book one water and it's like yep. yeah water was involved and the whole northern air uh the whole northern water temple thing happened but ang still doesn't know how to water bend <laughs> so, yeah you know, that that was kind of like the weak flaw for me uh, in this season overall, but especially in this episode is because I was like, all right, we're on episode eight and he's going to learn <laughs> water bending, right? Um, but as far as like the whole moment with killing the moon spirit, I felt was very faithful to the animated show. I love seeing uh, Uncle Iroh go like, yo, if you kill that fish, I'm going to unleash hell on you. Right. And just seeing Iroh go full badass was really cool to see. Um and seeing Aang kind of become one with the, the, the ocean spirit was really cool. And also just like in the show. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed kind of like how it wrapped things up in the end. And then also setting up Zozin's comment because a lot of people were, were very upset that they don't have the timeline of one year. And can I just say real quick, of course, that makes sense that they're not going to immediately include Zozin's comment because when you think about it, Zozin's comment takes place over one year. And how does it make sense? Like 
from the producer's perspective, these are child actors that there's going to be multiple years in between filming. They're mm. not going to be children by the end of the show. It's going to be the same thing as Stranger Things where they started out as kids and by the end of the show, they're all like 20 years old. You know what I'm saying? Right. So people need to realize that, of course, they couldn't put a year timeline because when we get to season three and the actor who plays Aang is 18 or 19 years old and <laughs> super freaking tall, you're going to be like, wait, it's only been a year. That doesn't make sense. So it's like you got to pick your battles, guys. You can't be upset right. about Zozin's comment not being in season one when ang is gonna be like five years older by the time we get season exactly three. so from that aspect it didn't bother me um but yeah i like how it's kind of sets things up for season two at the end and yeah and i i know that we can also talk a little bit about azula's play in all of this season yeah um i liked and didn't like uh azula um I liked that they incorporated her in the story from the jump just because you get to see her kind of juxtaposed to Zuko. Um, they both are seeking their father's validation. Uh, they both were literally physically and emotionally abused by their father. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, I don't know if it's the, the acting or if it was the writing, but Azula's character just did not come off as menacing. Um, and give her time. Give her time. I'll give her time. We'll, we'll see what, we'll definitely see what happens, but I just didn't get that vibe from her in this uh, first season so far. Um, and I felt the same way about uh, the actress who played May. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't give her a whole lot to work with either. They didn't. Um, um, I'm not. De- I'm definitely not going to like use this as a detractor towards them because I I don't feel like it. This is where that eight episode count really hurt. I feel like if Netflix would have given them ten episodes, probably been better. Hmm. But um, I will say, just overall, I like the fact that they did include Azula early because now we get to kind of see more of her involvement and see how she. Um impacts the story in a in from the beginning instead of later on coming in and just being tagged along at that point right no i agree um i definitely wanted to touch on azula because i think she is such a focal point to this you know she's kind of the one motivating you know commander zhao and setting that whole up so i really liked that backstory and even zhao revealing that at the end to zuko was really interesting um because it's something that we hadn't seen and it, it kind of fits and it makes sense for azula to be the one kind of doing that because she's trying to you know, prove herself to her father and prove that she is the worthy heir and all this and that. And then even at the end to see her being the one that is the one that takes Omashu, which I don't believe happens in the animated show either. Um, yeah. It was really cool to see, you know, I love that they introduced her. And I love that we get to see Ty Lee and Mai. Um, and I thought that the casting for both of them was great. At least the actress who is playing Ty Lee looks like Ty Lee. Um, <laughs> she does look like Ty and Lee. She got the same outfit and everything. So I can't wait to see her and her, all of her acrobatic flips and stuff. Hopefully mm-hmm. this actress is a gymnast. I'm sure she right. is because it seems like they casted actors who aren't just actors, but are martial, you know, martial artists like Dallas Lee. You was doing his own stunts as, as Prince great. Zuko. So, um, I, I'm sure that we're, we're going to get to see a really cool Ty Lee because she's such a fun character, but she like when she you know smiles, it's like it totally fits. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, that's Ty Lee for sure. So um, right. the casting in that aspect was great. I love the fact that we got to see Azula. I, I disagree. I think that we're starting to actually see 
the menacing Azula that she becomes um, because even seeing her, which is also reminiscent to the animated show, seeing her at the Agni Kai and seeing, you know, uh, Ozai burning, you know, Zuko and you get to see Azula's face like light up, like, yes, pain, suffering. This is delicious and wonderful. And it's so accurate. And Elizabeth, you shout out to Elizabeth, you as Azula. She was great. Um, I definitely feel like they gave her a motivation in this season that Mm. sets up seasons two and three. So for yeah, that aspect of it, I really enjoyed it because like instead of, instead of her coming in at the end and, you know, Ozai being like, all right, it's your turn. Your brother messed up. You get out there. Take care of this. We get to see her slowly planting the seeds and even her mentioning like, well, if you get me out there, I'll handle this. Right. Right. And so they're slowly, I did like that too. they're slowly setting that up. So I agree with you. I think that they planted the seeds. That's why they brought in a lot of elements of seasons two and three is they are already trying to plant the seeds now that will ultimately pay off in seasons two and three. Yeah. I hope that's the case. Honestly, I really do. So that part didn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, But moving on, that was kind of our episode by episode review. Uh, Always takes the longest, but we got through it. (laughs) Um, I do want to talk about, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand with our next topic, which is just kind of talking about where does this show um, compare to the animated show compared to the movie? Um, but I, I do also really want to mention um, some standout actors and performances, mm-hmm. um, at least from from my perspective. Uh, I definitely want to shout out uh, once again that guard uh, from episode uh, episode four, I believe I had said. Um, he was yeah yeah so great. Um, yeah, the fact that he was just a guard as a side character is, is mind blowing to me. Um, but I also want to shout out. Uh, Paul Song Hong Lee as Uncle Iroh. He was great. Elizabeth Yu, once again, as Azula. Princess Yue, uh, we talked about her, but God, she was so freaking good. Um, mm-hmm. Jet. Jet was a standout performance for me. Um, and then Aang really grew on me. Um, I would, I will say out of the three main team avatar, uh, Gordon mm-hmm. Cromier's Aang was to me the most faithful, especially by the end of the show. Um, early on in some of those first episodes, I felt like Gordon Cromier and Kiwato as Katara were probably the weakest actors, to be honest. And those first like three episodes, I definitely felt like you could see the youth in them. Some of mm-hmm. the reaction shots that they would do, like it would, it would be like, I noticed this, especially uh, in episode two with uh, Kiyoshi Island, but there would be like something really dramatic or like a fight getting ready to happen. And you see Kiwato, uh, the actress who plays Katara and she like starts oh, to yeah, smirk yeah. a little bit. Like you would see some of like, you know, like if you try to tell a kid to be serious and they're like, <clears throat> right like you you ever like you ever tell a kid to like sit down and they're like five years Mm -hmm. old and they just start laughing at you i kind of saw a little bit of that (laughs) from yeah and kiwato so So from that aspect once again i I really only noticed it in like the first three episodes and i definitely felt like they grew into their characters but that being said i also liked even uh usli as Sokka. but out of those three uh gordon cromier was awesome as ang and to me he's perfect casting uh that's not to say that the other ones are bad once again they grew on me i felt like by by episode eight all of these characters had developed enough that they felt like the characters from the show um and then dallas liu as as uh prince zuko is so great and i can't wait to see more badass zuko because he's probably one of my favorite characters from the animated show yeah uh i'll say a few shout outs i want to give although i said i didn't like the fact that she wasn't that menacing but elizabeth you uh, her acting in general was really good. Yeah. Um, I felt like she has a very 
high charisma. Yes. Um, and she is definitely a scene stealer. Like she just, it's like her delivery is really good. Um, and hopefully, you know, as we get into season two and season three, the content that she's given to perform with will bring out that menacing feature. Um, but in, overall, like her acting was really good. I also um, want to mention real quick to that. It was so cool that we got to see a glimpse of her, her lightning bending. That oh yeah. I love that. I, I, I was very giddy once I saw that. I was like, yes, they did it. Cause like for the, throughout the majority of the season, all we saw was just her using regular fire bending. So with her using the lightning, that was perfect. So awesome. Um, and then I have to one one last shout out I have to give because I don't think we talked about her enough, but Maria Zane's character of Suki was that was a chef's kiss so because seeing her just be like, I just want to go out and see the world. Like you felt that. Yeah. I, I give her all the flowers for that. Um, I give her so much credit for the way that she just brought this a whole different dimension to this character. Because in the original series, it was just she's a warrior. And then, you know, later on in the show, once she was captured by Azula and you get to kind of see her and Sokka kind of connect in the prison, you kind of see a little bit more. But they from the jump said, no, we're going to make her a 3D type of character. And we're going to give her motivation. We're going to give her agency. And they did that. And I think it worked really well. So I really love the character of Suki. And I think that she was absolutely perfectly cast. Yeah. Agreed. Um, with that also being said, then, uh, how, and I know this is a very broad question, <laughs> but how do you think this show stacks up compared? I know you said you haven't seen the movie, which you're, no, not, you're not missing much. I can talk to that, but not missing much. <laughs> um, how do you think this stacks up compared to the animated show? Do you think it's a faithful adaption? Um, it is faithful. Um, I will say um, I'm not going to compare it apples to apples in the sense of season one to season one. That's fair. But if I compare it overall, um, although I don't like how they mix and matched uh, storylines, they didn't really steer too far away from the actual storylines themselves. You know, yeah. they stayed pretty faithful to what the storylines meant. Um, as I said, from the top, there were some aspects of the storylines that were a little hollow for me, um, which took out some of the emotional residents. But in regards to the like line by line, it almost was a one-to-one correlation with some of the storylines from the uh, animated series. Um, And I think it worked for the most part. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it deserved the hate that a lot of people gave, but it definitely wasn't as emotionally resonating for me as I wanted it to be. And that's more so on me with my expectations rather than the actual show itself. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. um, I think expectations were high for this show, which is understandable because if you're a fan of the animated show, uh, which once again, we hope that you are, if you've listened this far, um, I think the expectations were always going to be high. And I think that's the unfortunate side. And we've talked about this before, but the unfortunate side with fandom in general Mm -hmm. is that if you have lore to base something off of, whether it's books, whether it's another show, whether it's a movie, um, there's always going to be a a lot of expectation. And especially because this show has a very strong cult following, especially even when they came out with the legend of Korra, you know, there's a lot of avatar content out there for people to base their opinions off of. And I get it. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, had unrealistic expectations coming into this. And I think that's the problem is that with any adaption, you should know 
that it's going to take its liberties. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, seeing a lot of people that are frustrated. And I mean, certainly there's some moments like you and I have mentioned where it is frustrating if they've kind of crossed over other episodes and they've tried to compact a lot. And, and the pacing was off sometimes in this show because mm-hmm. of that. But once again, they had had eight episodes to work with. They didn't have 20 episodes to do season one. That need, that cannot be understated because anyone that was literally expecting them to do a frame-by-frame, shot-by-shot, episode-by-episode version of the animated show, you're dreaming. Because right. even One Piece, which was an adaption that Netflix just did that actually got critical acclaim and people really enjoyed it, even One Piece didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Animated shows have half-hour episodes there's their seasons are super long once again 20 plus episodes a season is is nothing to to hunch over and right. live action adaptions just don't have that freedom to tell a story anymore so mm-hmm. you have to truncate it and so episodes and, and storylines get condensed and collapsed now was it perfect in doing so no but i definitely think that compared to the 2010 movie like this blows it out of the water like <laughs> there's there's no comparison because m night Shyamalan first and foremost decided to call ang ang for whatever reason so the entire movie he's just like ang what are we supposed to do ang you're the avatar <laughs> act like it ang this ang that i'm like hold on what what are we doing why yeah and he had, i remember i saw in the interview m night Shyamalan was like well actually if we're going by history and um region um if he was actually from this part of asia he would be called ang and it's like, all right, dude, we get that you're trying to be faithful because <laughs> it was interesting. He even tried to make um, the different um, uh, kingdoms. He tried to make them all um, regional based to Asia. So it's like the the Fire Nation was India. Um, I forget where he had placed the the, the Earth Kingdom and the, the, the Water Kingdom, obviously, was mm-hmm. kind of like the Native Americans. Um, and then he had uh, – or not Native Americans, but the Native peoples. And then he obviously had um, – the the air air nation which i believe was supposed to be like thai but either Mm -hmm. way he was doing like a weird thing and it just it didn't fit um they also like trying to tell a 20 episode season in a two-hour movie isn't going to work either so if you're upset about this show not following episode by episode accurately then i know you weren't happy about the movie because the movie had to do it in about (laughs) two two and a half hours so yeah, and they were going to try to tell all three chapters in the span of a, a trilogy is what M. Night was trying to do. Oh, my goodness. That was never going to work. Yeah, no. So what I'm at least happy about is that we're getting it in the long form, which is where it mm-hmm. should be in television. Now, how long form that is, we see it's still eight episodes. Netflix isn't going to do these super long seasons, guys. Even if it does get, you know, when I knock on wood, we hope that it does get a season two and three. I really hope it does because they need to tell the story. Then we might get 10 episodes maybe season three gets 12 i can literally see them maybe slowly expanding the season especially as we get to the final season but it's still probably never going to be more than 10 or 12 episodes let's be real Mm -hmm. um we need to realize that so i felt like this is the most faithful adaption that we've gotten a lot of people are saying well if you can't do a completely faithful adaption then don't do it at all it's like no and yeah for netflix this is a cash grab but it's still amazing to see these characters in live action only for the simple thing of like what i've been talking about this entire episode and that is how the stakes are grounded uh and they're higher and to see new actors kind of emerge from this is is so rewarding. So if you're sitting here saying that they should have never done an adaption and just kept the animation, like 
you're listening to the wrong podcast because that's <laughs> never going to be me. I know that's not going to be your take either, Gary. No. It's okay to do adaptions. You're going to take your liberties. There's going to be some changes here and there. And you just hope that it doesn't take away from the heart of what the story is about. And I think that's what you and I are saying is that I don't think that this season does that. Yeah, I agree. I would have preferred them giving us 10 episodes. I think that would have been better. Yeah. But overall, eight to 10 episodes is perfectly fine by me. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just like I said, you're just not going to see shows get that anymore. Yeah. They're, they're 20 not... episodes is too much, honestly. Yeah. No, it was. Especially for live action. Yeah. And, and for animation, it's easier to do that. But even even in the animated show, like there were so many filler episodes. There's yeah. so many. So, so many. as far as like trying to streamline that storyline, I felt like they did a, a fairly successful job. And like I said, because it's live action, you can do a little bit more like, yeah, the bending might not look as cool because in animation, you can have them do all kinds of crazy stuff. I still mm-hmm. felt like, because we haven't even talked about this yet, but the bending I felt like was beautiful and amazing. It was amazing. Um, and the CGI was great for that. Now, yeah. you know, there's some other, probably some more questionable CGI and some other scenes we can talk about, but um, right. overall, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it as a standalone adaption. Once again, I kind of went into this season knowing like it's not going to be entirely the same and it shouldn't Agreed, be. Same. It shouldn't be. The first yep. season came out in 2005. It is almost 20 <laughs> years later. It's, you know, 19 years later, guys, it's not going to be the yeah. same. Yeah. The same thing I say about comic book adaptations, you know, people complain about that. It's like, if you want a one-to-one comic book adaptation, just go read the comic. But yeah. these adaptations, they're made from people who have a different vision, who want to see this story done differently. Because a lot of these stories that were made at the time, they were made with one vision, one mindset. And you have someone now coming back, looking at it, saying, okay, I saw this already. Here's how I can change it. And here's how I can potentially make it either better or make it just at least different. And you have to give people, you know, their ability to make those changes. Because honestly, like I, I've had plenty of issues with the show, but this being a live action adaptation of an animated series, them building upon the world that's already there, I have no issue with that. And I think a lot of people need to, you know, really just get off of that high horse of, well, it's not faithful enough. Well, nothing ever is. You right. just have to, you know, take what you can from it, enjoy what's enjoyable, and keep going. Don't always be so quick to hate things. Right. And then we're in that kind of culture now where it's like it's more popular to hate things than it is to love yep. them. And I think that's kind of like the, the sad truth, especially with a lot of these these nerdy fandoms, like, you know, all yeah. of you listening. It's I feel like it's a disservice because like you're not going to love everything that they do. But I think we can at least appreciate that we're still getting this content because personally, I feel like because we're seeing the original creators are starting to adapt more movies. They're going to come out with some animated movies that are set uh, with uh, the the world of Avatar that I'm interested to see. But even Netflix, like we can see more adaptions and we can build upon this world, which I think is what we all want because this world Mm -hmm. is so rich. There's so many stories that can be told, so many spinoffs that can happen. Um, yeah, it, it, it was never going to be perfect. Uh, it shouldn't be cause it's once again, an adaption. If you want perfection, watch the original. Um, <laughs> but I was just so happy to see that, that it seems like they captured a lot of the, 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 the heart of it, you know, kind mm-hmm. of the, the meaning behind it, uh, the bending, the storyline, and we get to see some deeper motivations in this adaption than agree. we did in the original. Definitely agree. Um, 
And with that being said, Gary, where do you hope to see the series go from here? I know that we obviously know what happens in season two and three of the original, but right. this, you know, they might might change a little bit. Where do you hope to see? I have just one, just one request. I don't know if you know this, Skylar, um, but I just want to see one thing and one thing only. Get tough right. That's the only thing I need to see. If you get tough right in season two, and you give us the character that everyone loves. Like I've been seeing all over social media, you know, as long as in season two, Toph is done right. You know, I don't care. That's all I want to see. That's all the fans want. Give us Toph. Give us that amazing moment when she's in the arena fighting the three greatest earthbenders. You get to see the boulder and all these guys. And you just get to see this small, tiny blonde girl, take them all down. Give me that. And I will praise this show for the end of eternity. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, Toph casting is is got to be like number one. So they got to yes. do that right. But to be fair, what I will say is, at least in my opinion, regardless of like how great all their performances were, I felt like they got the casting right across the board. Um, there were some weak moments, but I feel mm-hmm. like overall the casting, they got the looks right. They got the costumes mm-hmm. right. Agreed. Um, and with some of the core players, you know, like I said, even in the beginning where they might not have been as great. And I, as I've mentioned, they grew into the character. So I, I feel like they've done well so far with the casting. So I'm excited to see what they do with Toph as well. Yeah, uh, I have. I, I will say I, I have high hopes. Yeah. But I'm keeping my expectations relatively minimal so that I don't allow myself to become overhyped. Yeah. And I mean, that's fair. But. You know, once again, we're we're big fans of the show, so that's understandable. Yeah. But yeah, Toph's <laughs> casting has to be perfect because she's such a crucial part of seasons two and three. Yes, definitely. And definitely. you know what I'm interesting to see as we kind of look ahead is because we know Netflix, like any streamer, is that they're trying to milk some of these adaptions for all that they can. I mean, mm-hmm. One Piece has over a thousand episodes of the animated show and a ton of seasons, yeah. so who knows what they can do with that live action adaption moving forward? But I'm right. wondering, do you think? That they're going to try to drag this outside of just three seasons. Depending on how season two goes, if we get a season two, I would hope so. Yeah. Because one of the biggest issues I had with the original animated series was they should have been given five seasons. Cause I feel like they could have made five seasons out of that and use seasons four and five to kind of show the aftermath of beating um, fire Lord Ozai. Yeah. So if they do Get a, give us a season two, and it goes similar to how this season went in regards to how they handled the storylines and characters. I would hope that they would give us up to about five seasons. Yeah, I would max out at five, though. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, I don't, I'm I'm kind of torn because I know the original creators were very succinct with those first three seasons. And so they were like, we have a story to tell. This is our story. We have already 20 episode seasons. Here's your 60 episodes. Enjoy. We're out. Peace. Mm -hmm. And they came back and did legend of Korra. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn with it. I, of course I always want more avatar content. So if you can do five seasons, do it. But at the (laughs) same time, the only thing I worry about is like, does that mean they start adding filler episodes? Does that mean mm. that certain episodes in seasons two and three don't resonate the same because they're dragging mm. it out? True. Um, that's the only thing I worry about. And I think what would really upset the fan base is that if they just drug this whole thing out for the sake of it. Um, 
that that could be a slippery slope and i don't yeah. think like with eight episodes they didn't have any time to do a filler episode like every mm-hmm. episode this season mattered and to me right. i enjoy that like i like shows that don't beat around the bush and we're seeing that now with streaming is mm-hmm. that with these shorter seasons they don't have time for fill- i mean loki season two yes but we talked about that right <laughs> they can find a way to do filler episodes certainly even with shorter seasons like loki but doesn't mean they should um so far they haven't done that let's knock on wood and hope that they don't continue to do that but yeah i mean it would be cool to see if if maybe they can show a little bit more of the aftermath after what happens uh when when ang takes down ozai um but yeah i mean all i know is that this show has me really excited to go back and rewatch the animated show because my love for it is so strong um definitely going to go back and rewatch it after seeing this same one last point um there's plenty of comics about avatar they could definitely tie in some of those comic storylines uh, into the series if they go f- past season three. So yeah. they have some options. This, this is a really big universe. Um, and from my understanding, they also could even tie in. So a quick pitch idea that I would have <laughs> is after season three, if they decide to go for season four and five, they should make that more so focused on like an anthology type. Hmm. And focus on one of the other avatars and just what happened with with them. But see, at that point, I think they they would do better to make a spinoff. It would be. It would be. Which I I think you and I, we already talked about this offline, but I think if this show goes successfully for the three seasons or more – um, then they're they're probably going to do a live action adaption of Le- the Legend of Korra, which I would love to see. That would be nice. A live action adaption of that. Um, then yeah, I think just like with Game of Thrones, we're seeing for HBO uh, and Max, I think that it makes sense that it, the more successful the show becomes, it makes more mm-hmm. sense to me of like don't drag out this story, but just do mm-hmm. some spinoffs. I think spinoffs could work. Spinoffs would be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited to see more of this show. Um, I think it, it leaves a lot of like room to grow and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, Gary, it's the moment that we've all been waiting for. What is your overall rating of Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1? So factoring in storylines, pacing, character development, the fighting choreography, the bending, all of that into one. Having some at least 24 hours to kind of think and sleep on it. I am giving the show a 6.5 out of 10. Damn. Wow. Um, there's just some issues that I've had that when I go back and look at it, it doesn't make me ready to just jump back and rewatch it, mm. but it's not bad enough to where it's like, I don't recommend it. You know, yeah. I, I definitely recommend it. And maybe on a rewatch, it'll jump up to a seven. Um, but as of right now, the main thing carrying this show for me is the fighting choreography. Uh, some of the dialogue was really crisp um, and, a lot of the character moments that really drew me in specifically with characters like uh, princess Yue, uh, Sokka, Iroh, uh, Zuko and, uh, and Aang. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 6.5 out of 10. How about you? I'm going to be a lot more generous here. So <laughs> I, I can't believe you gave it less than a seven. That's crazy. Um, no, I, I respect it. Um, and I understand. 
Um, for me, I thought, like I said, I've been waiting for this adaption. Like I believe it was like 2014 or 2015 when they first announced that it was going to be a live action show. It was before like Netflix even got it and then Netflix got it. So this thing has been in development for like nearly a decade. Mm. I've been so excited. Uh, and maybe that's just the fanboy in me. Maybe that's just because I just watched the last two episodes before I hopped on here to record with you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm honestly going to give this show a 7.8 out of 10. Mm. Um, it's very close to an eight. And in fact, while, while you were kind of talking, I was inclined to almost want to bump it up to an eight <laughs> out of 10, but yeah, I definitely think that there, there's some, a, there's a lot that feels a little bit uneasy to me about the first three episodes. And that just comes down to the acting, you know, with mm. me being an actor, acting is so important. And uh, so if, if I see a child acting and, you know, they're they're starting to break character a little bit, I'm like, all right, I saw that. <laughs> and I don't know how that got past the editing stage. Let's do a right. reshoot, you know. like. Um, <laughs> but so I think that for me is, is kind of like what undid it. And then some of the, the truncated storylines were a little messy. So that's why I would be comfortable giving it a 7.8. But once again, like once we get to like episode six and beyond, I think the show really starts to ramp up and um, yeah, absolutely. Just love, love the dialogue, lo- love where the characters go. Um, I think that, that Zuko has a lot more to work with based off of this season into season two, which I'm excited about. Um and yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of like where they go and, you know, Toph being introduced. So that being said, I think with this show being like number one on Netflix this weekend, because the show just dropped this past Thursday, I think that it's only a matter of time. In fact, by the time this episode drops uh, on Tuesday, that we might already get the green lit for season two. I really think it's coming any day now uh, with just how popular the show is. And yeah. Who knows now with this becoming a flagship show, as we talked about with our last episode of how streaming works, maybe we get a longer season and maybe they cut the season in half and make us Mm. wait a month or two after the first half drops. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. I think with as as successful as the show is becoming, I mean, even people that don't like it are still watching it. So that's still getting their numbers up. Right. I think that they'll, they'll probably end up making this one of their flagship shows. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the data shows within the next week and a half. Um, it's like you mentioned, this is going to drop on a Tuesday, so uh, it will be less than half a week since it uh, dropped. Almost uh, a full week. Almost a full almost, week. Almost, yeah. yeah. So Netflix runs on a two-week model seeing how their viewership goes. So if this show stays in the top 10 for that two-week span, you know, I can definitely see them fully greenlighting the season two. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's why they only gave them eight episodes because they're like, we hope this will work, but we don't know for sure. <laughs> right. That could be it, honestly. That really could be it. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention real quick, uh, they just popped back up. Um, but I do want to mention that I, I truly think it's amazing, um, regardless of what you think of this adaption personally. Um, I think we can all acknowledge like how amazing it is that they have Albert Kim as their showrunner, um, that they had an entire producing and crew of Asian that and, was amazing. And, and native uh, peoples uh, working on this. So it wasn't yeah. just the cast. The casting was very faithful to that, but it was the crew, the executive team, mm-hmm. everyone from the top down uh, were either of Asian descent or of native descent. So I think that's really special because like you said, it's like, how can we tell this story in 2024? How can we put our own spin on it? How can we adapt it to our needs is that you don't just have a bunch of white guys developing it. Like was the case Mm -hmm. with the original animated show that, that they had a lot of love and a lot of inspiration from Asian cultures Mm -hmm. is that in this show, 
we're seeing Asian cultures reflected from every angle and every side of the globe. And that's true. We're seeing it from Asian creators. So Mm -hmm. in a world that has seen a lot of uh, Asian hate, uh, especially since the COVID pandemic, I think that that's really just important to mention is that we are seeing some beautiful storytelling from Asian creators and Asian artists. And I just want to give a huge shout out to that because I am a big fan of, of certain um, Asian cultures, you know, specifically like I love Japanese culture um, and I'm a fan. So I think that it's just, it's really cool to see that depicted on screen and behind the scenes. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, and one last point that I want to make, um, the score throughout this season was honestly absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, it really set the tone in a lot of scenes where you got to feel the tension a little bit more just because the score was was crisp. So I got to give them their props for that too. Yeah. Yeah. So really strong uh, first season overall, uh, even with your, your 6.5 rating. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully I mean, you, you hope there's a season two and three, right? Yeah, 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 I do. Good, good, good. It would have been like, it would have been funny if you were like, no, end it now. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. Um, that didn't happen. So, no, yeah, we're both right. excited. Uh, hopefully, once again, hopefully it gets, get, gets greenlit soon. Uh, definitely follow that news in real time with us. Once again, by going to our IG or our Instagram, you can find us at Nerds Inc. Pod all one word nerds mm-hmm. inc pod um definitely follow us on there because we post a lot in our stories um just kind of like as news drops and develops uh and with that being said we definitely want to hear what all of you think of season one of avatar the last airbender so we're going to release a clip for this obviously for this episode to promote it so after you listen to the episode please go to our clip either on our facebook page the nerds inc podcast or once again on instagram uh, and just let us know what did you think of season one of avatar the last airbender we want to know uh, netflix wants to know certainly <laughs> so we hope to hear from all of you Gary, any final thoughts today? Uh, No, no. Uh, I think we have talked a lot about this show. So definitely uh, (laughs) go watch Avatar The Last Airbender and let us know what y'all think. Yeah. I mean, it was in my top five most anticipated shows Um, so far. I feel like it's lived up to it, but we'll see by the end of the year, you know, where where the final rankings come out. But yeah, a huge fan. Gary and I both are of this show, as you can tell. Um, So we hope that all of you get to watch it. If you've listened to this entire episode, you didn't finish the season. Hopefully (laughs) at least you can tell um, our love for it and these characters uh, because yeah, love to see where it goes from here. With that being said, everyone, I'm Skylar. And I'm Gary. And this has been another episode of the Nerds Inc. Podcast. We will see you guys next time. Hey, everyone. This is Skylar with the Nerds Inc. Podcast, here to say thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying our weekly discussions, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Ask us a question. Provide your thoughts on our discussions and we may just talk about it in a future episode. Thanks.